This is the Money Shop Podcast. I think it's episode number 16. Today I'm going to talk to you about credit cards and loans. So feel free to lend me your ears. You're listening to the Money Shop Podcast with your host, Damien Fogg, making personal finance and investing easy to understand, less intimidating, and even bordering on fun. Right then, so today I wanted to talk about credit cards and loans with you all. Now, there's kind of a simple, straightforward element to these, and then there's a little bit more advanced stuff. So I'm gonna go through each one in turn. So first off, let's just talk about credit cards. Now, if you need a credit card to be able to afford your life, and you end up constantly with a balance on it that you're paying off, then you're probably doing something a bit wrong. In an ideal world, You'd have a credit card because they're good for your credit file and prove to other people that you know how to handle money and you know how to be responsible with it. But then at the end of each month, you would clear all of that credit card debt so that you start again the next month at a zero balance. And that way you're not paying exorbitant interest rates and you're not getting ripped off. Credit cards tend to be one of the more expensive types of debt you can get. So the general finance industry education, community, whatever, they do tend to always say, clear all the debts as soon as you can. And I'm inclined to agree with that one. Only when it's the credit card debt that's probably 15% plus. If you consistently have a balance on there, so let's just say a couple of grand that always sits on your credit card, you're always paying 15% on it each month. And if you're only paying off the minimum balance each month, it's going to take freaking forever to clear that isn't a great plan. Now, I get it, sometimes things crop up that you haven't accounted for, that's why we have an emergency fund, peoples, but if you haven't had one previously and you've found yourself in that situation where you've got a big chunk of debt on credit cards that you just can't clear, then first things first, you should do what you can to clear it as best as you can and as quickly as you can. But you do have other options, so you can transfer that balance to another credit card where Potentially, you can pay 0% interest on it for usually anything up to about 18 months. Now, back in the day, they used to let you do that completely for free. Nowadays, they do charge you an interest rate to transfer it. It's usually pretty low, so we're talking between 1% and 3% probably. So if you've got, let's just say, 10 grand on a credit card that you just can't clear and it's been sat there paying 20% plus, whatever it might be, you could transfer that full 10 grand onto another credit card and you'd probably only end up paying 2%, maybe 3% to transfer it. It's not nothing, it's not a tiny sum, but it's probably gonna work out better for you if you can get then 12 to 18 months worth of 0% interest. What you should do at that point is continue paying what you were paying before, but instead of wasting most of that money on interest, you're now clearing that debt. So that would, I guess, be the first thing to talk about with credit cards and I guess this is if you are struggling at this point. When you're in a better position and you're now living within your means as you're supposed to then potentially you don't need a credit card. People sometimes have in their mind still that you use credit cards when you can't afford something and you want to pay it off later. The reality is 
a credit card, if used properly, is just a really good way to get no interest on money for a while. So I've pretty much always had credit cards since I was about 18, but I've always, literally always, paid off the end of the month in full. And that's not because I'm a, ma well, I am a massive nerd, but the only reason I was able to do that was because I never used credit cards as free money. I always used it as, this is my budget, this is what I know I can afford, so I will spend up to that. Once I got to that point, I'd then stop spending and think, okay, can't do it, I'll have to wait until next month before I can buy that. And that's where credit cards become very helpful. I can buy something for a £1,000, and I don't have to actually give up my £1,000 to pay that credit card back until potentially a month or two down the line. So I'm getting two months worth of interest on that £1,000, which, okay, yeah, it's not going to be a great sum if it's just sat in a savings account, but it's something, and I'd rather I have that than somebody else does. So if you've got good financial discipline, then credit cards are actually quite a good thing to have, quite a useful tool to have in your arsenal. The other good thing about credit cards is because there are friggin' hundreds of them, they quite often offer quite good deals. So I've got one, I think it's the Santander 321 or 123, I can never remember which way around that is, but I get cash back every time I spend money on it. I used to, ages ago, have, and I can't remember, I think it might have been an American Express, but nobody takes those, so I got rid of it. But that used to give me British Airways air miles, which was quite useful. I got a couple of upgrades from it for free. And given that I was only spending normal amounts of money on stuff I'd be spending anyway, it's just nice getting free shit off people. So don't just think because you've got a bank account with a certain bank that you have to use their credit card. Shop around, have a look online and just look at what the best deals are. Sometimes you'll get things like Amazon vouchers and shit like that. Sometimes you can save up all your points and points being prizes. The supermarkets, they tend to have credit cards nowadays and whatever you spend on that will turn into nectar points or club card points, whatever they're called. And it's things like that that weirdly, it might just be me, but I quite like getting free stuff off people. So if I've spent normally, as I would do anyway throughout the year, and at the end of the year I suddenly get, well here you go, here's a hundred pounds worth of Amazon vouchers. It's nice, I like it. And then the final thing, which I've covered a couple of times before anyway, but is try not to spend all the way up to your credit limit on your credit card. Ideally, keep it to around 50% of your available credit limit. So if you've got 10 grand worth of available credit limit, try and spend no more than 5,000 on it. And if that means you end up getting two credit cards because you genuinely have to spend 10 grand a month, get two credit cards or increase your limit to 20,000 so that you still sit at that 50% mark. It just shows lenders, if you're going to ask for any more money off anyone else for a mortgage or a loan or anything, it just shows them that you are capable of managing your finances and you're not living sort of right on the edge, which is quite a helpful segue into loans. Now, the dodgy end of the scale are the payday loans. I'm sure most of you have seen the adverts for them, where literally the percentage that they charge you for borrowing money off them is just criminal. It's like thousands of percents. And that's after the government has brought in legislation to lower them, which is just insane. So basically, if you borrow £200 off them for a month, you're probably going to be paying back three, £400 in a month's time. It's just batshit crazy. So I would say if there is 
any other option apart from using a payday loan, definitely look into that before you use them. It's far, far too easy to end up on a very slippery slope where every single month you have to take out another loan to clear the loan that you've already taken out. And that's it can spiral out of control very quickly, very easily, and you're basically fucked. But also, even just taking them, even if you take it for whatever reason, clear it and never use it ever again, there are quite a few lenders out there, if you're looking for a mortgage or loan, that will say, look, if you've used payday loans in the past, or in the past three years, six years, whatever it might be, we won't touch you. Because again, it just goes back to them and says, this person doesn't know how to manage their finances. And they've not been in a position where someone reasonable would loan them money. So they've had to go to the shitty, dodgy people that would lend them money at 4,000% a year. So yeah, maybe it's a little bit judgmental of them, but I can see where they're coming from, to be honest. So whatever you can do to avoid payday loans, do that. Even if it means not spending as much money that month, that's probably the better option. Now, when you get into more standard loans, so most people take out loans for things like cars, whether it's higher purchase or you just go to your bank for a loan. Again, just be sure to shop around. There's a big difference in interest rates between different providers. And there's quite often some kind of deal on the go. So the co-op, I remember looking a while ago, they were doing a deal where you get co-op vouchers for taking a loan out with them. If you think about it, that costs them. If they give you £500 worth of vouchers, it probably really only costs them about, hang on, what did I just say? £500, yeah. Probably only costs them £250, £300 to actually fulfil that £500 value to you. So it actually works out in their favour quite well. But from your point of view, you just got an extra 500 quid. Use things like that to run against, maybe the co-op is offering a loan at, I don't know, 6%, whereas HSBC are offering one at 5%. But if they've, if co-op have that £500 voucher deal, maybe that pushes it into the favour of, well, the co-op's a better option for you. So always just look at not just the headline rate, but any things like arrangement fees, any other deals that they're giving you, any points that you might get on something, and just make sure it genuinely is the best deal for you. Sometimes we can get a little bit obsessed with just chasing the headline interest rate, but really it's not what makes the huge difference overall. But really, that might not be the most important feature. Now, when it comes to loans, again, general theory is clear your debts, try not to have any loans, apart from maybe mortgages, which are generally seen as good debts. But a loan to a bank is pretty much universally seen as a bad debt. I would counter that it depends on what you're doing with that money. Now, it's a risky strategy, I'm not going to lie, but this is something that I do probably once a year, is I will take out either a loan or a cash transfer from a credit card that I've got. And I don't really use that credit card for anything else apart from just once a year saying, can I have some cash, please? I will then pay that loan off within 12 months, but I will invest the money that I take from them. And provided I can get a higher rate of return than the cost of the interest on that money, then I'm technically better off. Now, it's not huge sums of money, so I probably take anywhere from ten to 20000 out each year, and I will invest it in a way that is is very risky. Sorry, it's not to say I'm investing in things that are particularly risky, but this strategy in itself is quite risky. It takes very good money management skills, 
So you have to make sure that you can, A, afford the repayment of the loan over that 12 months, but also make sure you do keep them up. Because if you don't, all of these credit card deals, you might get 12 months of cash transfer for 2%. I think that was the last one I got. I think it was 1.9% and I got 15,000. So for 12 months, all I had to pay was 1.9%. As soon as 12 months was up though, that interest rate suddenly rocketed up to, and I think it was 24.9%. Now, I was able to invest that money in something that got me more than 1.9%. I left it there for the 12 months. At the end of the 12 months, I cleared all the debt. Jobs are good. So I've just used somebody else's money to make more money for myself. Now, the numbers involved aren't huge. We might be talking about, you know, 500, pounds in a year, but it's 500, pounds that I wouldn't have had and it was a very simple, straightforward thing for me to do. Now, I could have gone even dodgier with where I invested it and tried to get 10, 15% return in the 12 months, in which case, yeah, okay, it's starting to look a little bit, there's a couple of grand involved here now. But that is just an example of using other people's money to invest, to give you money in the end of it. Now, the risk involved there is obviously, if for whatever reason I'd have lost that 10 or 15,000, I still had to pay them back at the end of the 12 months, or I then get hit with 20, 30% interest rate. I was comfortable when I took the money out in the first place that if that was the worst case scenario, I could live with that. So I had the money there available that I could, if I needed to, repay it all in full and not get stung with 25% interest. So this isn't a way to start investing. This is more a case of if you've already got some money knocking around, and you can afford to take that hit in the worst case scenario, then it's something you could look at. Now, for a lot of people, it won't be worth the hassle. It is, you've got to look around for the right product, you've got to look around for the right place to invest it so that you make sure you're beating that return. So for a lot of people, it's just not worth it. For the numbers involved, it's probably not sensible to do. But for me, because this is what I do pretty much all the time, I've got a lot of spare time to look into this shit. So once a year for probably the past, I don't know, 10 years or so, I've done that. And effectively, I've made myself a free 10, 15,000 pounds just from having good money management skill and using the system to my benefit. It's not rocket science. I mean, it's probably on the riskier end of the scale, but it's certainly something that most people could do. Now, I probably wouldn't recommend it to most people, but For some of you out there, if you're in that position, it's something to look at and assess for you whether or not it's worth taking that risk. Now, just quickly touching on cars, to be honest, I don't really understand car finance half the time, but I have been quite obsessed with cars in the past. So I've done the very showy-offy things. I've had Range Rovers and Porsches and Aston Martin, stuff like that. And while it was quite good fun at the time, I think I've grown out of that phase now. I do still like cars, but... I just can't justify spending that much money on something that is, by definition, a depreciating asset. So, but if you are in the mindset still of you want fancy pants cars, or even if you just want a normal car, you've got lots of different options of how you buy it. So you can either pay cash for it up front, or you can take out finance. So you go and take out a loan in your own name and then effectively buy it cash as far as the dealer's concerned, or you can get a loan through the dealer and pay that back or you can do the bloom payment the higher purchase one where you take out a loan from the dealer but you don't pay back some of it usually around the 50 percent of the value mark 
you leave that for three years, and then at the end of those three years, the dealer will say, well, okay, can I have 50% of the value of the car now, and it's yours, or give me the car back and we'll do this again. Now, probably the most sensible way, from a purely financial basis, is to buy a car for cash, and then keep it for as long as you possibly can, till it falls apart, then flog it, and then do the same again. The reality for a lot of people is they want newer cars, they want to replace a car every, I don't know, two to five years, in which case, arguably, it is just throwing money away, but effectively just renting the car. So whether it's a lease purchase or a PCP, personal contract plan, I think it stands for, where you literally are just renting that car, you will pay a fixed fee each month, you get the car for however many years, and you get to do a certain number of miles in it, And then at the end of that term, you just give them the car back, hand them the keys, and that's it. So you never actually own it, and all of your money is just getting pissed away down the drain, but you get a new car every two, three, four years, whatever it might be. I think if you're the type, if you're the way I was, and you like new cars, you like expensive cars, and you want to update and change cars quite regularly, to be honest, that's probably not the worst way to do it. Yes, it is just pissing money away, but you're pissing money away by buying a fancy pants new car. So we can't really look at this from a purely financial perspective. So by doing the PCP thing, at least you're minimizing how much you're paying each month. Yeah, it's completely lost money, but whatever, that's what you get for buying a new car. But hopefully, instead of sticking the money down as a deposit or paying for it cash for an £80,000 car, you can go and invest that £80,000 instead, assuming you've got it, and keep the monthly rental repayments on the car low. Hopefully, with a bit of luck, maybe you can get some or all of that rental money covered by the investment, if that makes sense. So there's some random musings about credit cards, loans, and car repayment strategies. It's a slightly different episode today, but I know a lot of you are going to be involved in any one of those things, and I certainly have been in the past, so you never know. Might come in handy. Hope I haven't driven you to boredom. (laughs) Meh. I'm full of shitty dad jokes today, aren't I? (laughs) Toodle pipple. So you just survived and hopefully enjoyed the money shot from Damien Fogg. If you just can't help yourself and you want even more, head over to theepinvestor.com forward slash podcast for the show notes, links to whatever shit he just talked about in this episode, possibly some exclusive content about cool finance stuff and even maybe a free pony. 